The eighth edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is Carolina Basketball. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Michigan out of timeout. And Weber, front court, Carolina thought he'd travel with it. Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes a timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Now gets it away to Donald Williams, down the side to Stackhouse. Stackhouse streaking in on Park, reverse duck is good, and he gets fouled by Park. Oh my goodness, what a dunk. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams' front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May! It's over! Carolina has won the national championship! Belton ready on his second attempt. That one is no good. They battle for it. Loose ball. Recovered. Marvin, he scores! 17 seconds left. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Hello, welcome to another the Four Matthews. Corners podcast. We are powered Bobby by Martin Carolina Electrical Services. Josh, we'll be back with you. As this I mentioned last week, we will be, or I will be back with you guys at least once a week, but today I do have my co-host, Anthony Pagnotta, with me, and this week's a lot like this last week where we got another major recruiting podcast. update as Carolina's going through an important month of Josh recruiting. Um, we do have a guest today. A guest will stop by the podcast, and I, I and I really enjoyed my conversation with him, and I think you guys will as well. The pod thought of the day, and Dayron Sharp off to the NBA draft combine. And, uh, buddy, we'll go ahead, jump right into the recruiting, because that is what's dominating – you know, really all of college athletics right now is the dead period came to a close earlier this month. So now football and basketball and every sport hosting recruits on visits as they can now that we, we've we entered the dead period. In Carolina, in the first week, you know, they had three guys on campus. They landed a commit in Will Shaver. They had, they had two other high prospects in Jalen Washington and Will Taylor and Justin Taylor, excuse me, on campus as well. They both really enjoyed their visits, visits but neither one of those two guys did commit. Last week, Little bit of a slower week in terms of guys on campus, but the guy that did visit, Derek Lively, he's a big guy for Carolina that they're going to try to recruit. 7-1 center, the number four center in the 2022 class, and the number one player from the state of Pennsylvania. Duke and Kentucky are both involved in his recruitment as well, so this will be a really good chance for Hubert Davis if he lands his commitment to beat out those two other blue bloods for a premier player. The big thing about this guy, or about, or about this in general, is that you know, since Hubert Davis took over as the head coach, it was all this talk about Carolina's being becoming guard oriented and it's going to be a guard driven program. You look at the guys he brought in in the transfer portal Brady Manick just, and Justin McCoy. Those guys are stretch forward players. Will Shaver is a guy that's going to be a stretch five, a stretch center for Carolina. And then Derek Lively, who is a 7 1 center, but like. Manic, like Shaver, can step out, shoot the three-pointer, and is really the – when you look at what Carolina wants in a big man moving forward, this is the guy you're looking at. It's a guy like Derek Lively, a guy that's got size. He's got height. His length and wingspan make him an impact, an impact defender as well, but can step out and shoot the three-pointer. And I think it's just weird that since – you know, ever since he got hired, everyone thought Carolina was going to go away from playing with big men, but all the guys that he's been really actively recruiting have been, in fact, big men. Well, I mean, part of that, in in fairness to 
uh, to Hubert if, if you're wanting to, for some reason, say that he's not doing enough, he's not changing what he said he was going to change. He kind of has no choice. He was kind of put in this position yeah. where he kind of has to recruit these guys because, frankly, Carolina just doesn't have the depth down there right now. This guy's also, I mean, look, he's 7'1", he's athletic, uh, he, he's a guy that, I mean, looks, I mean, fr- from from his size, uh, the way he plays, he looks like a guy that can run the floor pretty well as well. And that's an element of the game that it doesn't really matter if Carolina's guard-oriented or if, if they're a team that's going to run with two bigs. They are going to still run the floor. That is going so. to be yeah. an element that you would imagine Hubert Davis is going to keep because it's been an element of Carolina for years and Really, as we know, whenever Carolina can play it well, not many teams can stop them. So I I still think that he fits what Carolina wants there. And I mean, again, he's 7-1. This guy's going to be able to protect the rim. And he's a guy that looks, you know, again, I'm, I'm doing the same thing that I always do. I've got his film on here while we're talking about him. He looks like a willing defender. He can rebound the ball as well. And I think that's going to be one of the other big things is that you're going to need these types of guys in the middle that have the size and have the ability to rip down rebound after rebound because if you're going to go with more of a stretch four than the type of inside typical big man four that you've been going with here in you know the since Roy Williams has been there you're probably going to need guy a, a guy in the middle that is just going to clean up just about everything on the glass i mean reminiscent of you know kind of what i think is is a guy like Uh, Kofi Coburn from Illinois this past year. You need that dominant guy that can take over inside. And here's the other thing that it looks like Carolina's doing. You've got guards. You've got a lot of guys as well that it looks like are probably going to be here for a little while uh, at the least. I mean, like we talked about on the last last pod, uh, who are we looking at after this year that we think has a chance of leaving? Caleb Love and maybe Kerwin Walton. Everybody else is probably going to be around for a while. So right now, you've got a shot with the amount of spa- the amount of spots that are open, the type of depth that you have at guard, and the long term outlook there, where you can kind of take uh, multiple shots with some of these big men. And you would imagine that if we're taking multiple shots like this at these guys, we're going to have one that's going to pan out. So I think that's part of the the, the part of the reason that Carolina is doing this. And the other part is. Well, folks, welcome to recruiting, and particularly in the summer of 2021. This is the first time in a year and three months that they've been able to have guys on campus. Everybody that is coming on campus is not going to sign with Carolina. I'm sorry if that's breaking news to you, but they are going to have multiple guys on campus. Just because they have them on campus doesn't mean that they are going to land them. That there are even guys that they're you know pursuing at at you know as high a level as some of the other guys that are on campus. It does mean that they are pursuing them, but. Yeah, again, he, this is a guy that look. If they feel like, if I'll, I'll put it to you this way, if they feel like there is a guard that they want more than him, they will take that guard over him. They're not going to say, "Look, we're going to take him because you know he's a center." We're you know sticking with the way that we've always done things. 
they are going to go with the guy that they think best fits what they want to do. Hubert Davis does not seem like the guy that's going to just take a guy because, well, the star rating for him is better than another guy. If he really wants somebody, he's going to take him over a guy that you know j- just has a better star rate. Well, if there's a guy they're going to take over him that is a guard, that guy's on campus that day that we are recording, and that is the most coveted recruit of this recruiting class, the guy that will give Hubert Davis and this staff the, you know, the recognition as a recruiting staff that they're looking for some momentum. And that's Jaden Bradley. This is a guy that was offered when Roy Williams was still the head coach. He was immediately one of the first guys that Hubert Davis reached out to when he became the head coach, reaffirmed his scholarship as well, and has been still as much as priority in the transition as he was before he became the head coach. And he is a lot of things come in with this with with this guy. He's on as I mentioned, he's on campus right now. He's five star talent. So, you know, you got the talent there. This is a guy that can do a lot of things with the ball, without the ball. The biggest thing that I have right here on our rundown is that a commitment from Jaden Bradley, which a lot of people believe that, you know, it's it's down to between him and Kentucky, and everyone is hoping that maybe this visit will sway his decision to come to Carolina. Jaden Bradley comes to Carolina. It fits the vision that Hubert Davis has for his program, which is playing with two point guards at the same time on the court, meaning that he'll have on the, him on the floor with Hopefully Caleb Love is back, or you know whether it's R.J. Davis or someone else in, in you know that comes in the pipe, and and I think that's a big thing is that we we haven't seen a whole lot of it under Roy Williams where you played with two point guards at the same time, but when they did, you had a lot of success. You go back to 20, 2015, 2016, the team makes the national title game uh, with Marcus Page and Joel Berry playing as a one-two combo guard punch in the backcourt. You go back, there were times back when Ty Lawson and Bobby Frazier would share the court. Sometimes it would be Ty Lawson and um, oh goodness, and his name's his name's slipping my mind right now. Uh, Quentin Thomas. Sometimes they'd be on the court at the same time. So we've seen instances of Roy Williams that were as successful, that's a big Dean Smith thing where the more ball handlers you have, the harder it is to defend, the you know, harder it is to play defense, whether it's man-to-man or even zone. And I think that's the thing is that when we're looking at the program, the way this is shaping under Hubert Davis, there that's it has a lot of a Dean Smith feel to it, the way his staff is, the way he wants to play. And I think this is a guy that fits what he wants, and then you add in the star rating, and that'll have the fan base feeling pretty good about their head coach and his ability to recruit. Well, because ultimately, I mean, the only thing that matters is star rating, right? <laughs> if he's not a five-star, he probably ain't good. Uh, but, I mean, look, he's, yeah, he's a real deal. I mean, we knew that when he was here in the state of North Carolina before he went down to play at IMG Academy. And, and, and again, I mean, look, you can say that, oh, well, you know, that, that we shouldn't put a ton of stock in that. If you play for one of those teams that travels nationally, you're a really good player. You've got to be in order to be, especially to be a starter on one of those teams. And, you know, IMG is is as well known as any program in the country. Uh, that's been a place Carolina's gone before, and they've had success Armando going Baycock there. Baycock came out of that program. So. Was he IMG or was he Mont, Mont Verde? Oh, no, he, no he, he was IMG. Okay. Dayron Sharp was Mont Verde. That's, okay, I got those two. That's right. I, I, I get those two high schools mixed up um, for those guys. But yeah, I mean, he's uh, I mean, you know, he's, he's an interesting guy because he's got the size as well. He's a bigger point guard. He's not a, a guy that's it, it's short. Um, he, he, he likes contact. He likes being physical when he drives to the basket. And that's something that I think Carolina fans have to get used to. Um, you've been asking for it for a while, at least the last couple of years, you've been asking for the paint to be less clogged. That's the reason why two point guards would definitely work in this system because you should never be against having guys drive the paint 
and finish at the level that we know they're capable of. Some of the point guards that we've seen these past couple of years probably could have been more successful if they would have been able to do that. But, um, I mean, yeah, no, he looks he looks the part of a guy that's that's going to be able to come in and make an impact. I think the one thing that a lot of people are going to say about him that, you know, are, are, are maybe a little bit critical will probably look at the one-and-done factor with him. I, I get it, but again, this is a guy that's just way too talented for you to be, you know, questioning whether or not Carolina should bring him in. If he comes in, look, he could be a one-and-done guy, but again, I mean, I, I just there's nothing wrong with that because you've got right. a stable of guards that you believe are going to be here a couple more years to where you're not having roster overhaul in the front and the backcourt. Right, and I mean, look, if if the paint really is more open, I really think you know just just from watching the way he plays, he's going to have a lot of success. Because I'm telling you, when I when I tell you he's a physical guy at the rim, he is. He can fight through contact, um, and, and that's going to allow him to get to the free throw line pretty often as well, get those and one opportunities. And I think that's going to be important for Carolina to be able to drive the basket consistently with these young guards, especially especially the young guys. If you're that, that's what's going to allow him, I think, to be more successful. In the years past, we've had guys that have come in and really, I mean, look at the last two high star point guards, highbrow point guards that Carolina has brought in that everybody thought were going to be super stonks. Cole Anthony and Caleb Love. Both guys, what was the main issue for them in their first year at Carolina? Couldn't knock down shots. If the paint is more open, you're going to be able to have easier opportunities to drive the basket and finish. That's what they need to be able to do. And I think just looking at the way that Jaden Bradley plays, I'm going to be honest with you. I I mean, just watching his highlight tape, he doesn't look like a guy that is going to rely on his shots. He's going to be aggressive, and he's a pretty good passer of the ball as well. So he'll be able to get the ball to his big men, kick it out to the outside when he draws defenders. He's a smart player. So this is a guy that Carolina fans are extremely excited about, should be extremely excited about. And, uh, yeah, this really feels like one of those guys where if Hubert Davis lands him, that's kind of the first big addition for Hubert Davis where you say, all right, this shows you right here that Carolina's not really losing that much luster with Roy Williams leaving. This this isn't a dire scenario like some people think it could be out there, uh, Duke fans, uh, that that think that Carolina's just going to all of a sudden fall off the radar. And, and and I think you know there's a good chance because if I'm if I'm if I'm right about it, isn't Hubert his wasn't Hubert his lead recruiter? Yes. So yeah, that I think. That connection as well makes this very, very possible that he ends up being a uh, Tar Heel commit when this is all said and done. I think one of the things you brought up that is really important is that his ability to get to the lane. You would imagine it would be a lot more easier with the lane open because you're going to play with more floor spacing. But you look at when Carolina's at their best with their point guard play, it are guard it, they that are guards that can get to the basket. Raymond Felton, Ty Lawson. Marcus Pesci to the basket, Joel Berry, and Kobe White. You right. want that kind of guard leading your offense because you, as great as Cole Anthony is, or, or and we knew all along he was a NBA point guard. He was his game was more built for the NBA rather than college. Same thing with Caleb Love, where Caleb Love would benefit if he put his head down and got to the basket when he was more aggressive. We well, said last that multiple year, times this he, year. He was just he was a better player, and so I think yeah. having that ability to have a guard 
take a defense off the bounce, get to the basket, draw contact, finish your contact. It makes him better. And then also, what's going to happen? That defense is going to collapse, and you're hoping you got Kerwin Walton, a 40% three-point shooter. You got R.J. Davis, Brady Man. You got shooters that you think are going to shoot the ball at a higher rate. It makes the game easier for your whole team, makes offense easier. And that's the kind of guy that Bradley, he can make the game easier for his teammates, which is what a point guard is supposed to do. When was the last time that we really watched a game and you saw a defense scrambling to try to get out and cover an open shooter against Carolina. Like, you just, you haven't seen that these last two years, and that's what's really hurt this team. Like, Kobe White, that was the that that was the best thing about him. The hardest thing for them to develop is going to be that mid-range game, which you saw guys like Marcus Page, especially Joel Berry, start to develop, which is what makes them really lethal. If they've got that outside shot, they've got it. That's great. Well, it's hard for you to ask those people to develop that when the NBA tells you that is an ineffective shot. For anyone that thinks that, go watch Chris Paul in these playoffs. That dude has shot 16-18 foot jump shots, and he's unguardable. You can't – if a point guard can do that on top of everything else that he can do, get to the basket and shoot three-pointers – I mean, Donovan Mitchell's got that right. game, too. too. I, anybody that says that. Analytics may tell you that that's an ineffective shot, but for an offensive player, once you add that to your repertoire, you're an unguardable yeah, player. Yeah, well, here's the thing that analytics just doesn't seem to put into account. I don't care how good of a quality shot it is. If you don't have guys that can knock down the outside shot, I don't care if on paper, well, that's a great shot. Well, congratulations, Bean Counter. It doesn't seem to be going down for him right now. So you, I, I mean, you've got to be able to find... I mean, that's that's seriously what it is. That's what analytics is. It's a it's a guy that sits back in his office. He's he's a guy that literally sits behind a desk and essentially that being counters an old it's a, it's an old reference. You seem a little a, a little surprised by that reference. Like you've never heard that. I've before. never heard that one. Yeah, that that's what it is. That's that's basically it's a stat nerd that thinks that. He, you should go off of everything that analytics says, but it doesn't take into account that. I mean, do it? Do your analytics take into account that Andrew Playtech is the guy shooting the outside shot? Like, I just don't think. Like, I would rather have a guy that drives the basket and finishes, even if it's not the most efficient shot. If he can get to the basket and finish and put points on the board, I'm okay with that. I'm not worried about that. So, yeah, I, I mean, his his game, I think, fits what you're going to want, an aggressive point guard who's going to drive the lane, draw defenders, and yeah, get get the ball to, as you mentioned, your stretch four, your three that you're going to hope is going to be that that all-around wing player where even if you kick it out to him and a, and a defender scrambles out there, he can put the ball on the floor and drive the basket as well. And then same thing to your other guards who you're hoping, you know, a guy like Kerwin Walton can knock down an outside yeah. shot. That is it would really make this offense... Uh, more effective. Any, I mean, he also looks like a guy that can push the floor too. I think that's something something else people might be wondering. Is he a guy that can push the floor? Yeah, that's a big part of his game as well. Yeah, um, and look, we're monitoring recruitment very closely. Kentucky, Arizona, Alabama, and Michigan are all involved for Jaden Bradley services, and rightfully so. There's another guy that's on campus as of today recording, and that is Seth Trimble, the younger brother of former Tar Heel J.P. Tokato, and this is a guy that Carolina's gotten really involved with late in his recruitment. He's out of Mononymy Fall. Wisconsin. I'm pretty oh, sure nice, I, nice. I butchered that up, meaning that a bunch of Big Ten schools are involved in his recruitment, which is why I have him here on the rundown that Michigan appears to be the favorite. That's from him. That's the school that he has made pretty mm. known going into his recruitment. That's the school he wants to be a part of. But look, 
the Carolina family has a way of doing things that can uh, you know, sway a kid's decision one way or another. I wrote down in the recruiting update article I put up on the website HeelToughBlog.com that he's on, the camp, he's on campus at the same time as Jaden Bradley. You have to imagine that the staff is selling him on the idea of playing with a point guard like Jaden Bradley. And we just mentioned about how he can make the game easier for so many different guys that are already on the team, let alone a guy that he could join with him and Seth Trimble. And look, he had a monster junior season. He blew up, averaging over 20 points per game, six rebounds and four assists. He's a really good he, – he's the more scoring version, I guess, of his brother. J.P. Tokoto was a guy that could do a lot of things for you except – score the basketball the way that you need scoring in today's game. That's not his younger brother. Trimble can't put the ball in the basket, but this appears to be a guy that if Carolina is going to land, they have the work cut out for him. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that I, I, I would be shocked if Carolina isn't at least being considered up there with Michigan. I, I think Michigan, and rightfully so. I mean, look at what they've done with point guards over the last 10 or so years. And Jawan Howard um, is just, he's got Yeah, that. he's a hell of a coach, man. They've, that's they've, that's they've, one of those guys they're that... They're recruiting at a high level. They just made it the Elite Eight. Um, he's he's established himself as a, as a coach and a recruiter at one of the best programs in college basketball. Yeah, and I mean, look, he's uh, he's a pretty complete player. I, I, I mean, he's got some range on him. He can shoot the ball from the outside. Uh, and, I mean, again, he's got a pretty decent frame. I mean, at 6'3", 185, he's another one of those guys where he likes to drive the basket. He's not afraid to be physical. And you can see with these these guards, specifically the point guards, as I just said, specifically like the ocean, uh, specifically the point guards, that's what I'm looking for, um, it, they <sighs> – yeah, I, I mean, they, they are going to be aggressive point guards that are wanting to go to the rim and take high-percentage shots. Which is, to me, that's that's a very inter- – I think that's the Roy Williams holdover in Hubert Davis's philosophy of how he's going to run the program. Dean Smith teams were already considered finesse teams. They weren't tough enough. They weren't strong enough to beat you in March Madness and win national titles. But Carolina has a thing about – and Carolina the same thing under Roy Williams. But when Carolina was good, their guards were physical guards. And I think you know, you've probably a really good point. The guys that he's targeting, these are guys that want contact. They thrive off of contact. And I think when you have guards that play that way, that resonates to your whole team because you have a lot of guys like Kerwin Walton probably doesn't want to get con- doesn't want to invite contact. But if his be- you know if his buddy's doing it, he's getting success. Right. You know, he's going to drive the lane, take a foul, and then get to the foul line. So I think it's just I think that's a really interesting thing is that Carolina's going to be physical on both ends of the court, and it starts with their guard play. Well, you you've got to have those. Type of guys. I mean, look at the last the, the last two years in specific, but even even really going back, um, you know, to to the to the Kobe White year, your guards really weren't getting to the line all that much. I mean, you put a lot of your forwards on the line, and you wonder why your shooting your free throw shooting percentage is down. Typically, your big men are not going to shoot as well as your guards, unless you got Tyler Hansborough, who's just you know he's he's just amazing. Um, but I think that's the thing is you want to see these guys be a little more aggressive. Don't settle for these outside shots. And these these guys that that we're that we're looking at here, just these two point guards that we're talking about today, and a couple of the other guys that we've talked about, they are more aggressive guys when it comes to driving that lane. And I think you're right. I think you know the other thing is you know you said that that might be a little bit of Roy Williams holdover. That might also be a Hubert Davis mindset. Yeah. Remember he played guard as well. So I, I feel like that. 
that might be part of it. Um, and again, you know, I, with, with Trimble, another guy that, again, has the ability to push the floor, has some good speed. He, he, he can pass the ball very well. He sees things very well. So, uh, again, you're getting a guy, and this one, uh, uh, he's not going to be the player that Bradley is coming in. He's going to be a guy that will probably take a little bit of time to grow. But watching him, he looks like a guy that if you needed him to come in and make an impact, he could. And I'm going to tell you, if you can team him and Bradley up together, man, that'd be some that'd be some point guard duo right there. And, and that's, then that's, that's why the I'm point. saying that's got to be the selling point because right. they're both on campus at the same time. Basketball, more than any other sport, you see guys that team up and play with one another. You sell those two dudes on playing in the same backcourt, and you feel pretty confident Carolina can be really daggone good with those it, two it guys. Just, I'm going to tell you, it really hasn't been the same in that backcourt in terms of depth since you lost – uh, Joel Berry and and you know his running mate back there, a guy that you know again probably wouldn't. I mean, he's he's not going to blow your socks off with the way that he used to play. But Nate Britt was the perfect fit behind him coming off the bench. You talked about Ty Lawson and Bobby Frazier. Bobby Frazier was a guy that most people, I mean, most most diehard Tar Heels will remember. But some of the casual fans probably don't remember that Bobby Frazier was a starter before Ty Lawson got there. He started every game of his freshman year. You need those veteran guys that are coming off the bench in the backcourt because if you don't have them, I mean, you're looking at the, these last couple of years, you're replacing a true freshman with a true freshman. Yeah. out there on the court and you can see that it's just not working this would be another one of those scenarios but I'm telling you just from watching these two guys I, I mean I, the talent level between these two look to be a step ahead of, of of the guys that they've gotten over the last couple of years because I mean again you you've also looked I mean look at look at RJ Davis RJ Davis is a guy that to be honest with you he was a combo guard coming out so he wasn't a traditional point guard, but they got into situations where they kind of had no choice. R.J. Davis had to be your backup point guard, or maybe even Andrew Playtech at times had to be your point guard. So I, I think that's the point that Hubert is trying to get to here. And yeah, I mean, getting them on campus at the same time, get you know, getting that that conversation going between those two is always good. And uh, you never know if they end up pulling this off. Uh, that's a really good backcourt duo that will also combine with you know R.J. Davis, who we just talked about, yeah. and some of those other guys that are going to be there over the next couple of years. Well, there's no such thing as a shortage of backcourt depth as we've learned in the last couple of years because injuries will happen, and you've got to have guys that are capable players. You don't you don't want to get stuck in a situation where K.J. Smith is starting basketball games for you if you don't have to. One last bit of recruiting news before we move on. Um, we don't do this with every guy that Carolina offers because, frankly, there's just too many of them. But this one we can because we just got a chance to see this guy in person last night. Carolina officially offered four-star power forward Gregory G.G. Jackson out of Ridgeview High School down in Columbia, South Carolina. You mentioned, well, how do you guys get to see him? Well, we did basketball games this year for QC Broadcast. You got to see him up and close roughly eight to ten times. And we knew that this we knew this offer was building just from the, you know following the people in, in, in recruiting. Um, a lot of ACC schools were already involved with him before Carolina got involved with him just uh, this past summer. But uh, this is a guy, like I mentioned, we saw up close a uh, handful of times, and there was a lot of. There's a reason why you can see why he's getting an offer from Carolina. He has a lot 
of a potential. A lot that he can still grow and work on into his game. But, you know, I got two box scores here in front of us um, from the Bash, which is a really high-level basketball tournament that happens at Columbia, South Carolina, right before the Christmas holiday. Um, and in this first game, he played against a legacy early college. That's a college that, you know, features Jacoby Wright, who's going to South Carolina. Bryce McGowan's a five-star prospect who's going to Nebraska for some reason. Um, <laughs> just kidding. He's going to play with his brother, who transferred out from there out of Pittsburgh. Um, I mean, Ridgeview is a really, that's a, as we got to learn with QC Broadcasting, high level program in basketball. They've won the state championship before this year, three straight years. They produce college talent left and right. So, this was a good chance to see Gregory Jackson against some some quality guys and against Legacy. Oh, you know, he struggled 4 11 from the field, only eight points, but grabbed nine rebounds, but bounced back in the second game of that event against AZ Compass Prep, a school that features Ty Ty Washington, a five star prospect that's going to the University of Kentucky. If I remember correctly, I think all but two guys on that team has a was committed to a college at the time we did that broadcast back in December. Oh, uh, and it's a Division One college too. Yeah, like, yeah, th- yeah. This is literally a college team. I mean, these dudes, these dudes. We were setting up on Saturday. Was it, yeah, it was Saturday, which was the final day of the tournament. Dude, everybody else, keep in mind, they didn't play until the final game of the evening. that night, they had a 10.30 a.m. walkthrough because we were there in the gym. Dude, they were having a full-on practice. Yeah. I mean, these guys, and we're not talking about just a shoot-around. No, we're talking about they are going up and down the court, running set plays. Like, this is, they're legit, man. And, uh, yeah, the thing to note about Ridgeview is that they took on two prep schools in in this tournament, they took or not tournament showcase is yeah. the better word for it. Um, I mean, you you took on two teams that travel a country. I, it's it's really that simple. They play the best of the best. You play in the state of South Carolina, which has some really good teams at the top. Don't get me wrong, but you don't normally face this type of competition. And you could see, I mean, in both games, they 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 were competitive at least early on. The game against Arizona Cummins Prep. They kind of pulled away a little bit. But the game against Legacy, that team was in it the entire way, and, and Gigi Jackson was a, a big part of that. Yeah, he bounced back in the in the game, too, when they lost the Arizona Cup's prep was 7-11 from the field, 16 points and 6 rebounds. And I think the thing about him is that – and this can be interesting – we're gonna. I'm gonna do a profile on him. I've actually secured interviews with both him and his high school basketball coach Eric Stoneman. Oh, big time! Um, about his recruitment, and it's really gonna be. You know, we talked with this head coach early in the year, and his head coach wants him to be a wing player. And you saw that in the games that were eventually blow us. Was about all of their conference games last year, where the games were out of hand, usually the second quarter, where he was trying to put him on the wing and get more comfortable. Jackson's long. He, you know, he he was the head man of the press defense where he guard the inbound and pass, and he all he'd go trap out of that and made a lot of deflections, got a lot of steals. You know, you mentioned something about his free throw shooting. He's got to improve as a shooter. I mentioned on the broadcast during the year, he's got good form, he's got good flow. It's really probably about just getting some more confidence. And I think the more he plays on the perimeter and shoots the ball more as a shooter as opposed as a big man, as a you know getting the ball and dunking it, the free throw shooting will come. But this is a guy that I mean. Carolina has gone to the South, to the state of South Carolina before to get some premier high school talent. Raymond Felton came from South Carolina. Your boy Bryce Johnson also came from South Carolina. And look, that's all I need. You don't have you don't have Carolina, Duke. You, you don't have AC school ACC schools knocking on your door if you're not a really good basketball player. Be interesting to see how his game develops. This is a big summer for him. I've seen some highlights of him in some showcases this year. He's dominating. He's getting better, but. 
I, I like to see that Hubert Davis and Carolina, they're offering these guys. And I think that was the biggest thing I had worried about recruiting with Hubert Davis was were we going to get strictly back into just wanting to get three to four-year development guys or are we going to take the the, the the flyers on guys that are going to be here one or two years? Not saying that Jackson is a one-and-done prospect, but we've seen him through the recruiting style so far go and get guys that you can look at and say that's a three- or four-year guy, a la Will Shaver, but also a one- to two-year guy and a guy like Jaden Bradley and maybe even Seth Trimble. So that's it. On recruiting. Oh, I get nothing on Gigi. I guess. Do you have anything you want to say about him? I mean, look, he, he's, he's a really good player. I um, mean, he, he he can play. Like we said, we talked to Yarek Stoneman. He said that one of the main things that they were working on with him was becoming a better shooter to stretch the floor. And the other thing that I think is key if you go and watch him play and if you go online and watch some of his highlights, remember that he's only a sophomore. So he's got time to put on muscle. He's got time to become a better shooter. We're talking about this is a guy yesterday, I believe, if I saw this tweet right, was the first day that you could contact 2024 2023 recruiting. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah that the year off. The yep. first guy that they contacted and offered was Gigi Jackson. That should tell you right there, this guy is a player. And, and look – when it comes to I, I wanted the other reason why I wanted to jump in here was because I like what you said about you know people worried about the fact of them only going after the three to four year guys missing out on talent. I think the key thing is here the last couple of years Carolina just hasn't been able to get the guys that are staying for three or four years. They've really become enamored with recruiting some of those big-name four- and five-star guys. And the other part of it is that you've also had to bring in smaller classes and you've had really big needs that you didn't expect to have. I mean, again, when you go back and look at what was the ultimate downfall and the reason to why Carolina's success hasn't been the same the last two years, I mean, look, loved them at Carolina, rooting for him with the Bulls. Kobe White is the reason why everything... That, that was the move that set everything in motion that put Carolina where they're at today. And it's just part of it. But that's the thing is Carolina has to get back to when you have a class like this. And they, I think they did it with this last class where they brought in some guys that are going to be there for a few years. They brought in some guys, Caleb Love, they thought was going to be a one and done. He pleasantly surprised you. I mean, part of it is that he didn't he didn't play great. <laughs> he pleasantly but surprised you when by, by, by not playing great. All right, but uh, he is staying another year. And I mean, Armando Baycott has also kind of surprised you as well. You thought now part of that is that you know he just isn't up there on draft boards. But some of these guys that you thought were going to be one and done have surprised you a bit. But you've got to make sure that in the case of a Kobe White, some you've got to have these these guys that are going to be there to keep you in good standing and not put you in a situation where you're once again having to fill huge needs with one-and-done guys. That was the big problem for Carolina because they're not like Kentucky and Duke, like we've said multiple times. And I go back to, in the one-and-done era, only two teams have won a championship with a nucleus of one-and-done players. 2012 Kentucky, and if Kendall Marshall was healthy – 
Who even knows if Kentucky wins that national title? And then 2015 yep. Duke. But also, you look at that Duke team. They had a they had a senior guard in Quinn Cook, whose experience was undervalued because of all the one and done talent that was on that team. So the model college basketball has proven. You look at Carolina, you look at Villanova, you look at you know Virginia the way that when they won the national title. Um, and then we, Bay- we talked about it Baylor this, year. this year. Experience. Experience wins more in college basketball than just by any other sport, probably except the NFL. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to make a run as a one-and-done team, you better have great talent and you better have great luck. Because you, I mean, you have to have everything break the right way for you. Because when you get into one of those pressure late game situations, which it doesn't matter who it is, you play six games. One of those games is going to be tough. It may only be one, but guess what? That might be the game you don't survive. Unless you're the 09 Tar Heels and you win by the largest margin in NCAA tournament history. Which, again, yeah, but that's I mean, an outlier. But again, you had the game against LSU where, I mean, there are going, even if you find a way to pull away in games, there is always going to be that one game that you're going to look at and say, Wow, that, that we didn't feel comfortable in that in that game. That was not that was a game we thought we could come in and win, and we came out saying, "Wow, we barely survived." With one and duns, most of those guys haven't been in that situation. We talked about it at length this year when we previewed the game against Wisconsin before the first round matchup. The biggest concern that we had with them was experience because Carolina didn't have it. And guess what? It showed that up. That was huge in that and game. And it mattered. So that's it on recruiting. As I mentioned, we'll have a I'll, I'll have a special recruiting profile on Gregory Jackson coming out on the Heel Tough blog in the coming days. So make sure you guys go to the website and check that out. Now we'll move on to our next segment. It's something that we started on the last edition of the podcast, which is the pod thought of the day. And the, once again, we go back to Dean Smith. And today's pod thought goes like this. Basketball, more than any other sport, is a team game about the thousands of small, unselfish acts, the sacrifices on the part of players that result in team building. And, you know, you look at, uh, you know, you can apply that to the way Carolina's trying to build their team right now with, you know, unselfish guys and team building and all that stuff. And um, Timely quote, though, with uh, Kevin Durant dropping 49-17-10 yeah, yeah. to pretty much single-handedly lead yeah. the Nets to basketball, a win, but okay. Yeah, basketball also does allow guys that have single-handedly carry you to wins like – you know, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, Can LeBron we amend James, this? if he has Kyrie Irving. Um, so let's amend this college basketball <laughs> more than any other sport. There you go. Okay. So that's that's our pod that pod thought of the day. I really, you know, I, I've joked about doing this the last couple of years, and I've really, I'm really glad that I've kind of incorporated into it because this, you know, we changed the name to the Four Corners Podcast that came from Dean Smith. I think it's inspirational. I'm going to be honest with you. My day is better from the pod <laughs> thought of the day. I'm going. I came into this podcast miserable. I hated it. I told you beforehand. I don't want to be on on uh, on the mic today. You said put the headset on, you idiot, and let's pod. That just got me pumped up, though. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Let's let's close this thing with a bang. Now we'll move on to another part of the podcast which started last week as we moved on to the Basketball Podcast Network, which is the lovely DraftKings ad. And this week's ad goes like this. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbooks. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. 
My friend and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting a quarter of the chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention. Bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo promo code TBPN Basketball Podcast Network when you when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credit but on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game and if they do you will claim $100 in free credit that's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older New Jersey, Indiana or Pennsylvania only new customers only wager paid out in site credits registrations apply see DraftKings.com slash Sportsbooks for details gambling problem Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-W-I-T-H-I-T. That was a strange uh, bedtime story there. That we was are a- going to change it up. Well, you are now going to have to read half of it because <laughs> my lungs... Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now... Um, I, which by the way, yeah, you are like you are like beat red over there. You look <laughs> like a stop sign. Uh, that, the way you led that off, and it goes like this. Did you like that? I, I thought we were getting ready to hear Goodnight Moon or something. You like I, that? Well, that was interesting. That was I, I don't know why I just said interesting like that, but yes. I figure, you know, we got to make it. I should find like a, uh, like a certain voice to do it in and just stick with that you one. You should, yeah. Like maybe try to go like a you know a classical Jim Nance reading about betting on sports games. Hello, friends. DraftKings <laughs> is here to tell you that you can bet one dollar and make a hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Classic Jim Nance, uh, Joe Buck. We'll see you tomorrow night on DraftKings. Dick Vitale, this is a PTP, baby. Give me the Pepto Bismol, baby. I'm gonna have to place my bet. I'll have something figured out when we come on the air next week. All right. Maybe you could add Joseph Forte to those. Yeah. I had, now you know who the guest is. I had the oh. chance because I hadn't released this out on social media. Didn't, you know, didn't hint at it. But I had the chance to talk with former Tar Heel All-American um, and really just a really great interview with Joseph Forte last week. So here is my conversation with former Carolina All-ACC member Joseph Forte. I am now joined by former Tar Heel and member of the 2000 Final Four team, Joseph Forte. Joseph, how's it going today, man? It's going pretty good, man. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Oh, thank you for coming on. Uh, first thing before we get started about the talking about the Tar Heels, I like to ask all my guests that come on, um, how you been doing? How you been staying safe with COVID? Hope everything is safe on your end and your family's doing well. Right. Thank you for, for your warm wishes. Basically, just trying to stay out the way, staying at home, and, and basically trying to do some reflection of, you know, being thankful that, you know, the COVID hasn't uh, affected me in such a nasty way. Yeah, it has been a there's been a nasty disease, but it looks like we are coming on the the other end of it, and uh, it's 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 been a long journey, but um, it's good to see that we are coming back to normal. All right, Joe, let's talk about the Tar Heels. And you came to Carolina after Coach Smith had already entered his retirement. What was it about Coach Guthridge that led you to Chapel Hill and the University of North Carolina? Uh, Coach Guthridge for me was very uh, soft spoken, uh, very respectable. But he, he also had this way of letting me know that even though he is very, uh, you know, warm-hearted, that there's a certain discipline that he 
he demands just by his presence. I like that his presence spoke without him having to be so vocal. At that time in my life, that, that meant a lot to me. While Coach Smith had, of course, retired, did you have any interaction with the former legendary head coach of the Tar Heels? Did he come to practices? Did he come to games? Did you have any interaction with Coach Smith? I had, I had interaction with him. I remember he told me one time, he called me in the office, and I was I was having a good freshman year, and he told me that, you know, he wished that he had an opportunity to coach me. And when he told me that, it made me, it warmed my heart to let me know because I know he coached all the greats that I was, I was basically on his list of, you know, I caught his eye to be good good like the greats were at UNC. So that was something that gave me a lot of confidence. You mentioned your freshman season, and you started all but two games while averaging 16.7 points per game on a team that made a run to the Final Four as an eight seed. What can you recall about your exceptional play as a freshman? Because back then it wasn't common for freshmen at Carolina to play at the level that you did. Well, the, the biggest thing for me was that I had a senior there and Ed Coder basically to to burden uh, the pressure of what a freshman would normally deal with. I had something, somebody I could lean on mentally, and I had the, the eye of the tiger to go out there and basically I want to make history in a place where it's difficult to make history. So I knew that if I did something early in my career, if I had the opportunity, that I would have the opportunity to make Carolina history. You mentioned you got to play with Ed Coda, and now I'm too young to remember having watched Ed Coda play, but he is one of the greatest point guards to come through the University of North Carolina's basketball program, and there's a long list of those. What was it like playing with a point guard with the savvy like Ed Coda possessed? Uh, he has uh, natural leadership capabilities and abilities, and what it was like was basically having a big brother there to allow you to I think I said before, but he, he put me in positions where I look good. He did not expose my weaknesses. So when you have a big brother that's making you look, you know, maybe even better than what you are because he doesn't show your weaknesses, there's a certain, you know, love affair that you have with him. And that's that was the biggest thing that I, I remember about Ed Coder. I mentioned that that 2000 team made a run to the Final Four as an eight seed. What can you recall about making that magical run to college basketball's biggest stage? The biggest thing was we wanted to basically, for me, I remember with Coach Guthridge, how he, he presented himself as far as recruiting me, how he, how he taught me, how he coached me. And I thought that it was wonderful the whole year, but we weren't getting enough credit because we didn't get enough wins. We had a subpar year. So for, for me, it was a motivation, a super motivation to basically, you know, repay Coach Guthridge and the team wanted to repay Coach Guthridge for being a truly good coach even though he wasn't getting the credit. So that, that really ignited our run in the, in the final four. If I recall, Ed Cota got in foul trouble against Florida in that game, in, in that final four game. Do you think if he doesn't get in foul trouble, y'all eventually cut down the nets and win that national championship? I think we definitely would have had a, a better opportunity. I think that, I don't want to say our, our, our luck right now, I just think that it was just so magnificent that we were doing that day it got to a point where you know something had to give and you know maybe maybe that was part of it didn't really agree with it but you know you move on and you just look at the wins that we did got we got because they were very they were very remarkable Following that season, there was another transition period for Carolina basketball as Coach Guthridge retired, and they hired Matt Doherty, who came over from Notre Dame. What was your first impression of your new head coach? Coach Doherty was, was really advanced. He was modern. He's what a modern coach he is today, but he was this in 2001. Um, I saw that he was very serious and very disciplined. Um, 
it was a lot different than Coach Guthridge. And I, my first impression of him was just that, that he's about discipline. And I, I think that, you know, at the time, it was just a tough transition for me to make because I was coming from a different kind of coaching style. But looking back on it, you know, basically he was a little bit he was a little bit too advanced for his time. He fits right in in today's game with this mentality that he had in 2001. You mentioned that you had a hard time adjusting to his coaching style, which led to the fact that it was reported that y'all had a strained relationship, but yet in his first season you won ACC Player of the Year and he won ACC Coach of the Year and y'all won 21 straight games, including a road game over at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Can you give some insight into your relationship with Coach Doherty, your lone season playing under him? Yes. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. At this point, um, when, I was, when I was dealing with Coach Guthridge, and Coach Daugherty, I had to understand that, look at the player that I was as a freshman, look at as a sophomore, I was a better player. And it showed because I got I got different accolades. So even though there may have been some estranged uh, relationship reported, the, the hard facts were that, like you said, we had we had the hardwood to, to back up that we got along good where it counted the most. Um, I think I was a little bit fatigued from his style because it was basically coming from another style. But ultimately, he was the best thing for me because he taught me discipline and he taught me that everything doesn't always go your way, but at the end, it's good for you. It's like eating your vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that was a good one. Um, All right, so after your two seasons at UNC, you left early for the NBA, and I believe you were the first sophomore to leave Carolina for the NBA. What was it like being drafted? drafted by historic franchise like the Boston Celtics. That was remarkable because I already had a story in high school in DeMatha and a story college with UNC, University of North Carolina. So to have Boston also on the resume is something that you can't take from me. Those are my three top, you know, first in, in, in inclusions of basketball. So it certified me as basically being part of a franchise that has so much remarkable history. And I was drafted by Red Arback uh, through through my high school coach, Morgan Wooten. So I, I really appreciate the fact that Boston gave me a certain kind of inheritance too by allowing me to be a part of their franchise. Your career in the NBA was short-lived, but you went on to have a long and lengthy career overseas. A lot of guys have different experiences when they go across the pond to play professional basketball. Did you enjoy your overseas experience? I enjoyed my overseas experience. It was bumpy at times, but I ended well with Maccabi Tel Aviv. I had a testimonial year where I was able to be a practice player, and we won the championship with David Black. And then the next year, I ended up getting signed. And this was at the tail end of my career. And basically, Maccabi was the best team that I played for overseas. So I closed the right way, uh, very Carolina-ish. Maccabi Tel Aviv was very professional. So I really enjoyed my career overall. I think I've been blessed. What was the biggest difference in professional basketball in the NBA as opposed to the professional basketball overseas? Uh, the NBA at the time was very wide open. There's a lot of space. It was room for one-on-one and, and very high athletic players. Overseas was more so X's and O's. The, the court was smaller. The players were less athletic, but they were more crafty. So for me, it fit right into with the way I played in college, and I had great success over there. But, you know, the NBA game was a little bit different. 
Um, you mentioned in an interview on the Carolina Insider that the University of North Carolina has saved your life in more ways than one. And when I heard that, uh, th- that was pretty powerful. I don't think you say that if you don't mean that. What led you? What, what led you to make that statement? Because that was a pretty bold statement you made with when you talking with those guys. Well, when you say when you talked about. Uh, being part of a story franchise, you know, it's kind of like when you have University of North Carolina on your resume anyways, you get a certain level of respect no matter where you are, no matter what you do. People are always going to know that. But because I stood out in North Carolina, I it saved my life in a way that when I was down and out, that no matter what, I always got a North Carolina pass and everybody always knew that I went to North Carolina. And it would help me in certain ways, even whether I was, you know, being close to the program or not, I still receive a certain kind of adoration, a certain kind of respect. And people always look at me in a certain light because of University of North Carolina when I had tough times. So now looking back on it, as I get past those tough times, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to say that, yes, it, it helped save my life. I can see it from another perspective. I believe since then that you and Coach Doherty have made amends to the Orange relationship. Is that true? Oh, that's very true. We, we you know, ironically, it's, it's weird, but it's true. We, we stayed in contact after the interview. We, you know, he, he wanted to get my number after he heard the first interview on Carolina, and we've been talking, you know, for the past three weeks, and we, we talked maybe about four or five times, and. You know, to be honest with you, it was emotional for me when I when I talked to him. He he has a very great insight at this point in his life. He helps me on a lot of different things, and we kind of made amends and reconnected and reconciliation. And you know, I, I love him like a like a like a big brother. Sometimes he's, he even has some kind of father figure kind of advices for me. And, and I know it sounds kind of ironic or weird, but it's true, man. So um, it's 20 years later, and Coach Daugherty is in a different place in his life, but he has so much experience about bouncing back and rebounding and understanding the ins and outs of how to make uh, logical changes in your life that make a, make a real difference. So I really enjoy our new relationship. And I'm, I'm happy that we had our relationship the way we had it 20 years ago to make this one seem more sincere. Y'all's relationship is a true embodiment of the Carolina family. We all hear legendary stories about the Carolina family, what it means to people. What does the Carolina basketball family mean to you? Carolina basketball family means to me something that I've never experienced before. I mean, I came from a single-parent home with my mother raising me with me and my brother. So family was something that was the reason why I came to Carolina. And I remember, you know, Coach Guthers was really big on that. My freshman year, it was so family-orientated that I, I, I really I really just kind of hung my hat there as family. And, you know, for me to come back 20 years later and have these interviews and get back into the Carolina family just shows that it's very, it's very, it's a very, it's a strong bond that can't be broken. Because if it could have, it would have, it wouldn't have lasted this long. In your time on campus, Carolina basketball is going through a transition from Coach Smith to Coach to Coach Guthridge to Coach Doherty. Now you flash forward. Now we're transitioning from Roy Williams to the new head coach Hubert Davis. What is your state of where the program is? Have you had a chance to wish Roy happy retirement? Well, congratulate Hubert Davis on being the new head coach. Where are you and with those two guys in Carolina basketball? Well, Coach Williams, I haven't had a chance to speak with Coach Williams, but 
I wish him the best, and he's also another. You know, we kind of spoiled down there with having Coach Coach Smith, Coach Guthridge, and Coach Williams, and we don't give Coach Williams enough credit because he was a savior to the program, and we know how difficult a transition was. So he handled that transition the best way probably in college basketball has ever seen by you know bringing Carolina back to the norm, the normal standard of championship play. Um, as far as Coach Davis, he did reach out to me, and I did reach out to him after the interview. The first one, he reached out to me and asked me, you know, when do I, uh, you know, when am I going to get back down there to speak to the players? So I love Coach Davis' attitude. I saw an interview, and he said that uh, he came to Carolina to serve, and that was so powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think that he has a great, a great start with that kind of foundation and I'm just happy to be in communication with them and we'll, we'll see what happens Alright, um, you mentioned that you are eager to return to campus sometime this upco- upcoming season for younger Tar Heel fans or even Tar Heel fans that were around to watch you play those two seasons for the Tar Heels, when they hear your name, what do you want people to think? I want them to think about that Joseph Forte is a winner under duress I want you to know that no matter what you can fight through whatever life brings you on the court or even off the court. When you think about me, I want you to think about those things. That I'm a winner, but I'm a winner under under the rest, under under heavy stress. And sometimes it's gotten the best of me, but I put my best foot forward and I keep going. And that that'd be the one thing I want you to know about Joseph Xavier Forte. Man, that was really well said, Joseph. I can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day to come on and talk to me about your time at Carolina, some great stories you had about Coach Doherty, and the future as you return to campus. Hopefully we'll see you on campus sometime this basketball season. Um, Hopefully we can do this down the road, man. Thank you, man, Josh. Thank you for your time, bro. All right, bro. We'll talk later. And, uh, you know, just want to thank Joe for coming on once again to talk to us. That was – Oh, I know. Oh, you can call him Joe? Yeah. First name basis? Yeah, we're on a first name basis. I know you I'm weren't hurt. You weren't in the – you weren't here when I was recording the interview. Oh, really, yeah. I was told to specifically stay away. That never happens. Yeah. Really just insightful stuff. And uh, and, I, and I mentioned in my conversation with him, and, and I think it really sticks true, him and Matt Doherty, they are the perfect examples of what the Carolina family is all about. They went through some trials. They went through some tribulations, but the family has welcomed them back in with open arms. They've even amended their relationship. They've gotten back together. They're back in touch, planning to come both visit, come to Chapel Hill this upcoming basketball season, which, uh, you know, is a really cool deal, especially with the new head coach, Lynn Hubert Davis. And Joe said he didn't get a chance to talk to Roy Williams, but he did leave Roy Williams a message and wished him a happy retirement. One last topic before today, before we get out of here, the NBA released the NBA draft combine people, which will be or the list of people that will attend the combine next week, which is from June 21st through the 27th. A total of 69 players will be in attendance, one including the only Carolina player in attendance. That will be Dayron Sharp, who of course left early. After just one season where he averaged 9.5 points, 7.6 rebounds, really an easy decision at the time for him to leave school and go to the NBA. But as we sit here entering the combine, he has a lot of work to do to be a first-round draft pick. Not uh, Of the three most reputable NBA draft mocks that I looked through, the Bleacher Report, ESPN, and CBS Sports, none of those have him in the first round. Bleacher Report has him going 31st. ESPN has him ranked 31st on their draft board. They will release a mock draft once the lottery commences next week. And CBS Sports does not do a second-round mock, and he was not in any of the first-round mocks done by their two guys over at CBS Sports. So, um, you know, we're not ones we're not ones to ever come in here and 
complain about a player leaving early for college. You want to go get your money, set yourself up for your future, um, and he's got the chance to do that. So I have on here, what does he need to prove at the combine to make him a first-round selection? I mean, look, this is a legitimate conversation, and I think the part, the, the reason that this is a legitimate conversation is because, go back and look, this is really, unfortunately, starting to set up very similar to the Tony Bradley situation. And that was something that you kind of hoped to avoid. I mean, look, if if somebody takes them in the second round, they're getting a heck of a player in the second round. But it really limits you in terms of your development because we've talked about this multiple times. Typically, the guys that you're going to find that are going to make your NBA rosters year one are probably going to be taking 15 to 20. And then anything above that, you're probably getting year one guys. After that, you're entering, you're kind of entering that zone where you don't really know. And look, there are guys that can kind of get out of that. I, I hate to bring this guy's name up because we hated him. And he's probably tripping people as they walk into uh, – where is he playing at now? Memphis. Memphis? Yeah. yeah. He's probably tripping the, the Grizzlies fans as they walk into FedEx Forum. But he was a guy that kind of came out of nowhere, was looking like he was going to be a G League guy, wasn't going to amount to much, and now he's become a part of what, what they do out there in Memphis. He's become a big part of that team. But it's rare. So I, I think that's where you're kind of nervous. Um, I think – one of the biggest things that we talked about when we talked about him was the thing that we thought NBA teams would be most concerned about is the fact that he doesn't have a lot of range to him. I think that's one of the things that he's got to show is that he has the ability to knock down some shots away from the basket and at the least that there is a shooting form there and he will eventually be able to stretch the floor. If he can show that, then I think he's got a chance. The other way that he could do it is if he goes there and shows that he is an incredible defender. Because again, the NBA combine is what the NFL combine should be. I've said it multiple times with the NFL combine. Put these dudes in 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 these trench drills. In the NBA combine, you play you, you play five on five. You, you, it's basically a, a practice. Yep. That's pretty much what you're doing. But you get to see a decent amount about guys. And you could say, well, you know, it's the combine. You know, who really cares? It's just a bunch of guys you never played with. If you come out and play with a lot of effort, you come out and show that you can you can play some good defensive basketball, there can be a role for you. Look at a lot of the guys that were with the New York Knicks this past year. A guy like Nerlens Noel would be a good guy for him to try to imitate to a certain extent. Even a guy, I mean, again, he's a different player than him. But look at the guy that's still in the NBA playoffs and has been talked about a lot here over the last couple of weeks in P.J. Tucker. Guys that make their name known by playing defense and they develop their offensive games as they go along. That's another area where Dayron can help himself out. Uh, he's just, you know, again, he's, he can't let the stage get to him. You're going to be going up against some really good players. And this is, I mean, that that's the thing, though. You got a chance to show out because I mean, some of the guys in the middle here in this draft, I mean, you've got some really good players. Let's say you go out there and you you put up a really good showing against a guy like Kai Jones out of Texas. You could start climbing some draft boards. Well, and the thing I and I wrote an article about this because he I mean, he he does have to work his way into the first round. The good thing is that it's 
it is a thing that you could actually see. Like, if he winds up as a first-round pick, we're not going to be surprised. His upside is tremendous. His re- He's the most natural rebounder I can remember seeing as a freshman in my 12-plus years of watching Carolina basketball. He could he just knew how to get the ball, get the position, and, and get rebounds, whether it's an offensive end or the defensive end. And I compared him a lot to this guy during the season, which is kind of unfair. But I think this is the mo- the way he can – you know, you, you said P.J. Tucker knows Noel – his passing ability is great. His and his individual or his team defense was really great in college and, and, and basketball. You don't get isolated as a defender in the NBA. He'll get isolated next week at the combine. They will isolate plays for him as a defender. If he can be a poor man's Draymond Green, which is a guy that can initiate some Ooh. offense and then as the and let the offense game kind of come with it, but can run, you know, be a, a point forward, which you don't see a lot in today's basketball, but a guy that you can give the ball and he can make group passes, which we saw a lot of times last year out of double teams, he made the best passes out of veterans like Kennedy, you know, like I'm about to say Kennedy Meeks, uh, Garrison Brooks or Amanto Baycott. Um, you know, you know, you know, he can rebound. He 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 plays with infectious energy. So he has to develop his offensive game. And I think, you know, you mentioned with the shooting stroke. He doesn't have a shooting stroke in college because in high school he didn't have to. He was bigger, faster, stronger. He could just go dunk on people. And I think that's something that had he had stayed, that would have been developed because Carolina has incorporated that into their program. You look at Kennedy Meeks. That was a guy that when he entered college – couldn't, t- couldn't make a, a free throw, let alone a 16-foot jump shot. By the time we won the national title in 2017, he was hitting an 18-foot jump shot almost consistently. Same thing with Garrison Brooks. Same thing now with Armando Baycott. It's about the willingness. Yeah. You, got, yeah. you, you have to commit to growing your offensive game. But, I mean, then again, for him – there are there are there is a place in the NBA for a guy that rebounds and dunks the ball. Yeah. By the way, my comparison was was not. I don't think he's Nerlens Noel. No, I'm saying those are the guys Tucker. that you went to. But like for me, right. I, when I look at him, I'm like, you know, God, if he if he can shoot the ball, there's a lot of Draymond Green in his game. See, I I think a guy that he that would be apt to resemble would be Bam Adebayo in Miami. That's not that's not a bad thing. Although Bam Bam's a prototypical forward now that can put the ball on the floor and get from the get to the line from the three point line to the rim. Right. I don't see Dayron Sharp doing that. I mean look, he's I mean he showed some of that ability at times. The main thing about him is he's a very smart player. He's a heady player. He passes the ball very well. Um I, I, I think yeah, I mean Draymond Green probably wouldn't be uh, you know, uh, the, the thing about Draymond is, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy that became one of the best three-point shooting forwards in the league. That's that's a long way to go for for Dayron. Um, but I, I, I mean, yeah, there's there's room for him at the NBA level. To me, I, I think you know, if you get into that late first round area, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of teams that that are still in the playoffs that would get that could really use him. I mean. I, I don't really know because I, I mean Phoenix. I, I think they're going to want to try to remain guard oriented. They've got their big man in DeAndre Ayton, um, and again, I mean you're if you're getting a guy there, you're probably not getting a starter. To me, to a certain extent, if you slip into the second round, it might not be the worst thing. But you've got to find a team that's going to want to develop you. Well, so I've, to I've, me, I've said all second half of the NBA season from following the the Hornets. The Hornets need a guy that can rebound. The ball, right. 
and can defend. The problem is that is that MJ's track record of drafting Carolina guys and them actually being productive in the NBA isn't very good. Yeah, but if you take him in the second round, then, I would say most people would look right. at that as a bargain. Um, I mean, remember a few years ago they were they they were begging them to take. Oh man, uh, the big man at a uh, uh, bull bull. Yeah. Oh, well, when he was there, uh, different player um, than than uh, than Dayron, uh, really just a tall, lanky guy. But um, look, I mean, they've been looking for big man help for a long, long time, and that's one of those guys. And look, I- I've heard it a lot from you know people that I brought that that up to here in Charlotte, and they've said to me, "Well, they've already got Nick Richards, they've already got uh, Vernon Carey." No offense to either one of those guys. I think the upside for for Dayron is much better than either one of those prospects. Not that I don't think either one of those guys could end up being decent players, but I think that if you get Dayron Sharp in the second round, he could end up being a key contributor. I don't feel like those guys could. His is all about development. But again, I mean, it, you got to land on the, on the right team. Because as we saw with Tony Bradley, he landed in Utah – they became a more guard-oriented team. And he man. was left out in the dust, and now he's a guy that every every year at the trade deadline is is, is right. packing his bags. You know, I've seen a lot of people that have you know make the comment about he should have stayed in school and has his time with an agent. As far as I know, and I did some extensive journalism yesterday, he hasn't signed with an agent. But I can go ahead and tell you the chances of him coming back to college are slim and none. And if you just read in between the lines, the comments he's made since he's left Carolina, since he put his name in the draft. Yeah, wasn't it like an Inside Carolina article or something? Well, where he, he, he pretty went, much just downplayed any opportunity. He went that, on a, a you know AMA on Instagram and someone asked him. Oh, know, that was it. Yeah, you know, that was did, it. How did yep. you like, how'd you like your experience at UNC? And it was just okay. He was a guy that I think, you know, when Roy Williams That's talked about didn't get the full college experience, you know, we, we blasted Walker Kessler for it. Had Dayron Sharp played in front of 22,000 Screaming Carolina fans that had been able to go on Franklin Street after the two Duke wins, go to football games and see that environment and enjoy the university, maybe his decision would have been swayed to come back to Carolina for a second season. But as of right now, the chances of him being in a Tar Heel uniform was about as great as me being in a Tar Heel uniform at the start of next. Seasons. <laughs> so with that, guys, we're gonna let's let's hope we don't get to that point. We're Holy, gonna, we're gonna go ahead and get out of here before we let you go. Talk to you guys about the website heeltoughblog.com. We got a lot of recruiting news on the football and the basketball fronts. Um, I, I've had recruiting updates from back to back weeks of the recruiting season. Anthony's had a recruiting stock report. So you can check out all that great recruiting stuff on the heeltoughblog.com. In addition to my article about Dayron Sharper, what he has to do to turn himself into an NBA draft first round selection and you know we told you guys last week that recruiting is going to be the things that we're going to be focused on right now but we do have a pretty big july coming up for you guys on both the football and the basketball side of things a lot of for football which getting you ready for the season which carolina is going to be a preseason top 10 team a trendy pick to win the acc coastal and a and a, and a potential to win the acc championship and make the college football playoff on the basketball side of things come july we are going to take a trip back down memory lane and look at some of the best 
five moments of Roy Williams's career with certain segments about wins over, you know, whether it's Duke, NCAA, you know, certain things that would just, you know, going to pay some tribute to Roy Williams on the blog side of things. Last, we encourage you guys to get over to the, to the to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on every major podcasting platform. We are now on the Megaphone podcasting app, so you can find us there also. Spreaker, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Give us a like. Review me as the host. Review Anthony as the co-host. We want you guys to subscribe. That way you get every podcast right there in your podcast library. As I mentioned, we'll be doing episodes now on a weekly basis, so you don't want to miss any of our great Carolina basketball coverage. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I want to thank Joseph Forte for stopping by to talk about his Carolina basketball career. I want to thank Anthony for hosting. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.